Hello brothers and sisters and welcome back to an all new Sermons in the Park. As always, I am your Reverend Jamie McCaskill. I want to take this time, sorry about the tapping, that was uh, me checking the microphone to make sure that it's working. Um, I want to take this time to just say thank you for joining me here. It's always a pleasure to have you here um, each and every Sunday. It's also a pleasure to have you listening over on the podcast. Um, if you haven't been following the podcast and you're only listening over on BitChute or YouTube or Rumble, um, you're missing out on the um, on the podcast. I mean, we've done it like three now recently. I know I've done one on um, two of them. I'm sorry, on Paul, and then I just did also one uh, as it was coming to my mind. I decided to do one, literally like two on one day. I did one on um, on the Mark of the Beast, uh, just kind of discussing that. Because that's one that a lot of people tend to ask me a lot about. So I decided to do one on that. Um, so before we get started, let's do like we do each time. And let's bow our heads and thank our Heavenly Father for all the great and wonderful gifts He's given us. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for everything that You've done for us. We thank you for for loving such wonderful, such (laughs) horrible sinners like ourselves. It just shows us how wonderful and loving you truly are. That you would you would you would love us even when we do not deserve it. We know that there's there's the Bible. Your word tells us there's nothing that we can do to get away from your love, and we and we thank you for that. We love you too. We thank you for the the gifts of breath, the gifts of life. The gift of love. You give us everything. You give us our pets that we are we can that, that comfort us during our times of, of of depression. You give us our children, who we love and take care of, and who love us. You give us food that we eat and we are able to enjoy. That you give you give it you give us the ability to taste that food so that we can enjoy it even more. You give us water for us to drink to quench our thirst you give us your word to feast on so we can get closer to you and know more of you and we thank you we thank you for your son jesus who came so long ago so that we could have forgiveness for sins we thank you so very much we thank you for healing us each and every day we know that you're healing us even though we don't feel it feel it or see it we know that you're healing us down on a level that we cannot see and we thank you we thank you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're new, because there are people who still join me new each and every week. I know I know because I'm told. <laughs> the way we break it down is simple. Um, we break down, we choose a, a book in the Bible and we break it down book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And as some of you can tell these people... Word by word, because words change over time. The meaning of a word will change. It may mean one thing now, but it meant something completely different when it was written in that old King James. Um, right now we're doing Genesis, and we're up to chapter 12. And chapter 12 starts, uh, starts us off by recording the call of Abraham. And it also, calls, uh, it also uh, records his obedience. It tells us how obedient Abraham was. You will notice 
in the first three verses that they record the call as well as the promises. And then we see a description of Abram's obedience. It's constructed on two commands. The first, of course, is the call for Abram to leave the land. Okay? We see that in verse 1. And we see that when God establishes his covenant with Abram, it is a drastic turning point in the history of humanity. Abraham and his heirs, who, who of course is Israel, received an unconditional promise. It is a promise to make Israel a great nation. That he will bless the seed of Abraham. He will giving it a giving and he also gives Abraham a great name, making him a blessing, so that he will bless anyone who blesses Abraham, and he will curse anyone who curses Abraham. That that God will give Abraham the promised land, and that through the descendants of Abraham. He will bless all the other families with the Redeemer. You see, Israel fails in, the, in, in this arrangement. When they, get, when they leave and they go settle in Egypt, which of course results in their bondage. They receive a final test when, when God tries to draw them back. But, but see, they refuse, don't they? They refuse him at Kadesh Barnea, which we read about in Exodus chapter 9, verse 5. Let's take a look at that, okay? And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. Oh, that's chapter 9, verse 5. Chapter 19, verse 5. Sorry about that. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Now, let's go ahead and read. We're going to read the entire chapter 12 of Genesis, verses 1 all the way to 20. So, yes, this one's kind of shorter than we usually do. Now, the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou, sh and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in, the, in, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, 
and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of, of Sikkim, into the plain of Morah, and the Canaanites was them in the land. Was then in the land, sorry. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto the mountain of the, on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hal on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land. Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous, grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near the, to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will save thee alive. So I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commanded her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and he is entreated Abram well for her. And he had sheep and oxen and he and he asses and men servants and maidservants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house was with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her, and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, and his wife, and all that he had. Now let's reread verse 1, because that's what we always do, right? We take, after we read a chapter, we, we reread each verse. We start with the first verse we read and we continue on. This time it was the beginning, so chapter chapter 12 verse 1 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of the country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. Notice that it says the Lord unto Abram. This is the beginning of that promise. The one that goes throughout the entire Bible. From here all the way to Revelation chapter 20. The Abrahamic covenant. Okay. It's introduced right here in verse 1. Until verse 3. We see the promise actually made. Physically made in chapter 15. You know. Then it of course reaffirmed in chapter 17. Then it is later renewed with Isaac in chapter 26, and again with Jacob in chapter 28. This right here is an everlasting covenant, like we talked about earlier. But, 
Let me call your attention to some other verses. Let's look at Genesis chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 7 and 8. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generation for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Okay, <clears throat> now let's go to First Chronicles. We're going to look at chapter 16, verse 17. And hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and to Israel for a everlasting covenant. Now let's go to Psalm. Chapter 105. We're going to read quite a few verses here, so be prepared. We're going to read verses... 7 to 12. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He hath remembered his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Which covenant he made with Abraham. And his oath unto Isaac. And confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law. And to Israel for an everlasting covenant saying, Unto thee will I give the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance, when they were but a few men in number, yea, very few, and strangers in it. Now, we're speaking of this, so let's go look at um, Isaiah, <coughs> sorry, chapter 24, verse 5. The earth also is defiled unto inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Now, that covenant contains four elements. Okay? Those, uh, those elements are, first off, the seed. We see this in Genesis chapter 17, verses 2 to 7. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations, which is why he gets the name Abraham. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, right here, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations, <clears throat> for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. Then Jesus refers to it also. That's right. Go look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel 
unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now, scroll down a few verses to verse 16. It says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And thy seed, one word, one, that means one seed, not seeds with an S, which is Christ. Okay, the second part is land. We see this also in Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read verses 18 to 21. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed, singular, have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Ketamites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Gergesites and the Jebusites. Now, also, don't, uh, let's go to chapter 17 and look at verse 8. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed, singular, after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, I will be their God. Also in, in this promise is a nation, the third one here, a nation, which is, which is uh, we can read about in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now, also uh, go over to chapter 17, verse 4. And for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. <coughs> oh, sorry. Ooh, plus, number 4, we have the divine blessing in the protection, okay? We read about this in chapter 12, verse 3. And I will bless thee, that bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Notice what God says here. He tells, what does he tell Abraham? He tells Abraham, get thee out. Notice that he mentions all of these elements to Abraham. You know, out of his country. Get away from his kindred. Get away from his father's house. Now, do you remember what I told you before about Abram's father? Well, just in case you don't, I'm going to remind you. Let's look at a verse real quick. Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served 
other gods. This tells us that Abraham's father was an idolater. Notice, God does not tell Abraham where to go. No, he just says, go unto a land that I will show thee. This like right here, this reminds me of what happens with Elijah later. Remember, God tells Elijah, go there. He doesn't tell Abraham, he doesn't tell Elijah, you know, we're going to go here. No, go there. You know, there is where God sends you. Anyway, this shows us how faithful Abram is. You know, that Abrahamic covenant is a covenant of unconditional love. In the, and it seems it will be fulfilled with the kingdom of salvation for Israel. But it also, it's also conditional in the terms of an immediate fulfillment. You understand? Let's look at something real quick. Genesis chapter 17 verse 4. As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. Thou shalt be a father of many nations. This covenant, this covenant's national importance to Israel is magnified by its references and, and point of appeal throughout the whole Old Testament. Let's take a look at some verses here real quick. We're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 23. And the Lord was gracious unto them, and had compassion on them, and had respect unto them, because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not destroy them, neither cast them from his presence as yet. Now, let's go to First Chronicles chapter 16. We're going to look at several verses here, 15 to 22. Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to thee, I'm sorry, to a thousand generations, even of the covenant which he made with Abraham, and of his oath unto Isaac, and, his, and hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law, and to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying unto thee, I will, I'm sorry, saying unto thee, Will I give the land of Canaan? I feel like I'm reading too far, but I'm not. <laughs> the lot of your inheritance, when ye were but few, even a few and strangers in it. And when they went from nation to nation, and from one kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sake saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. I love that part. Now, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 9. We're also going to read a couple of verses here, 7 and 8. Thou art the Lord, the, thou art the, Lord, the God, who didst choose Abram, and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees, and gavest him the name Abraham. 
and foundest his heart faithful before thee, and madest a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Gergesites, to give it, I say, to his seed, and hast performed thy words, for thou art righteous. It's also important, <clears throat> as far as the spiritual sense, to all believers, which Paul points out also in Galatians. If you want to go read that, feel free. Um, these are whole chapters, and we'd be we'd be here all day. We're going to go look at Galatians chapter three and chapter four. But let me call special attention to something. I want you to look at Acts chapter seven. Verse 3, which reads, And said unto him, Get thee out of the country, thy country, and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. This covenant that God makes with Abraham is another one of these drastic, like I said, these drastic turning points in human history. Abraham and the nation of Israel received an unconditional promise. Notice that he tells Abram into a land. Don't forget at this point, Abram was still in Haran. Like we saw back in uh, Genesis chapter 11 verse 31. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham, his wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran and dwelt there. Right? It was here that the call was repeated for him to go to Canaan. Right? Let's look at that again. Acts chapter 7, verse 2. And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharon. This makes it clear. This was something that God had said to Abram in the past. Okay? God chose Abram. Notice the orser of this. The first thing that God does is he tries to get him away from the city of sin, the city of Ur of the Chaldees. He tells Abram not to let his father, his family, I should say, keep him from doing what he was told to do. He tells him to leave this big, fine, beautiful home in the city of Ur of the Chaldees and go to some strange land. His family went as far as Haran. There are people in ministry who face the same thing today. They're uprooted from their family, from their friends, and they're sent from a home away from security. God does not want us to look back at these things in a longing way. We get that when we look at Lot, don't we? Not to think what might have been. We need to look at what lies ahead of us 
you know, what waits in that land that God is going to send us to. Look at what is waiting there, that place called there. Right? That's where you need to be looking. God said, I'm going to feed you there. I'm going to, I've ordered the, the he think he told, just like he told, you know, Elijah, I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Wherever God is sending you, he's going to take care of you. You cannot win a race while looking into the stands, worrying about what they're, what they're chanting at you, what they're cheering at you. You need to look ahead. Look where you are going, not at where you've been. All right, anyway, let's look at verse 2 now. <clears throat> and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. God tells Abram, if, you, if he leaves there... There are three things that he promises him. You could honestly translate them as a let me. You know, things like let me make of thee a great nation. Let me bless thee. Let me make thy name great. The last promise here is ironic, isn't it? <laughs> you know, <clears throat> the quest to get a name has always driven the sons of God. You know, uh, if you look back with me at Genesis chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 to 4. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children of them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Right? And even <clears throat> of those architects of the Tower of Babel that we read about last week, you know, if we if we look at that, verses one to nine, and the whole earth was of one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, and they said one to another, Go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly, and they had brick from for stone and slime had they for mortar, and they said, Go to. Let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make a let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do, go to, let us go down there, confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the, God so the Lord scattered them abroad 
from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore the name of it is called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, <clears throat> and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. He told Abram, right? He said that he would make his name great. Now, we see the fulfillment of Abram's magnificent reputation and language in Genesis chapter 13, verse 2. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, in gold. Right? Also, Genesis chapter 24, verse 35. And the Lord hath blessed my master greatly, and he has become great, and he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maidservants and camels and asses. Also, he blessed him spiritually. Look at Genesis chapter 21. Verse 22. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the chief captain, and his host spoke unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Also, socially, chapter 23, verse 6. <clears throat> Hear us, my Lord. Thou art a mighty prince among us, and the choice of our sepulchres. Bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulcher, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. God is telling Abram that he will do for him what other people have tried to do for themselves, and failed, of course. You can also look at the last words of the verse and translate them that Abram would be a blessing. You see, God is telling Abraham that he would be a great nation, that he would be personally blessed, and that he will receive a great name, and also that he can be a blessing to others. Is that not true of us today? Let's look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Now let's let's move on to verse three now. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. <clears throat> now I talk about this a lot, right? Uh, about uh, uh, when I discuss Israel today. Look right there. God said that he will curse him that curseth thee. The ones who curse Abram and his descendants mean the ones that treat them lightly, who, who despise him. Also, treat him with contempt. You see, when God curses you, 
That is the harshest and most divine justice you will ever see. Now, notice that this is the opposite of the ones that bless Abram and his people. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Paul called these words the gospel beforehand to Abraham. We see that in Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now, if you read this verse thoroughly, you see not only how he was to be blessed, but also to whom. You can, you can translate it this way. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that cursed thee. In order that in you all families of the earth be blessed. So these promises that were given to Abram were for him as long as he left his family and went to there. To that place that God sent him. Not just Abraham, but for all the families that were on the earth that are faithful to God. Like Abraham was. This includes Christians. God promises him that he would be a great nation, right? That his name would be great, and that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now, the verse makes it clear that if you bless Abram, you would be blessed. But then there's the other side of that coin. If you curse Abram, you will be cursed. Don't forget Abram is the father of Israel, and through him, also Christians. He truly is a great nation. Now let's look at verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. That obedience in Abraham, or in Abram, sorry. It says that he departed out of Haran. Now, Haran is the spitty, the city, the spitty, the city <laughs> that we spoke of last week. So we're not going to talk about it a lot this week. Remember, his family has been there for a long time. And they had grown to a great group. And they had many, many servants. So... Moving on from there, we're going to go on to verse 5 now, as soon as I can get this computer to act right. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Did you notice how this one ended? It said the land of Canaan they came. This would have happened somewhere between, uh, I'm guessing at about 2090 BC. So if we were to take the ending here and then take the end of verse 8, you get that they came into the land of Canaan and they built an altar unto God and called upon the name of the Lord. Now, the book of Genesis is divided into two main parts. 
don't know if you've ever noticed that. But the first 11 chapters deal with our history, the history of humanity. The last 39 chapters, they deal with the family of Abraham. So here in chapter 12, God calls our attention away from those rebellious humans, the ones that, that, that he had scattered about because of what happened in Babel, to this family here, the family that Jesus would eventually come from. Abram had taken his father with him when he left Ur of the Chaldees, and his father died and was buried in Haran, and then Abraham, he continued to the land of Canaan, just like God had told him to do. We also know that Abram and Sarai had no children. Remember, she's barren. But they did have a large group of servants and relatives with them. Now, as far as Lot, Lot was the closest thing that Abram had to a son. And don't forget, when he, when he left Haran, Abram was already 75 years old. Don't forget that. That's very important as we move forward. Now, let's go to verse 6. And Abram passed through the land unto the land of Shechem, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanites, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Do you see where he passed through? This verse calls that place Sechem. S-I-C-H-E-M. If I'm butchering that name, I'm sorry, but Sechem. This was a Canaanite town, and it was located in the valley that was between two mountains. This is, and that those mountains are Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. We can read about that uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 4. Therefore it shall be when ye be gone over Jordan, that ye shall set up these stones, which I command you this day in Mount Ebal, and thou shalt plaster them with plaster. Then scroll on down to verse 12. Thou shalt stand upon Mount Gerizim to bless the people when ye are come over Jordan, Simeon, and Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, and Joseph, and Benjamin. Now, this is about... 15 miles west of Jordan and about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. Morah must have lived in this land because there was a tree that actually got its name from Morah. Notice that the verse makes it clear that the Canaanite was in the land. Think about that. This was written by Moses. He is writing something 700 years later. Somewhere about 1405 B.C. And the Canaanites that we're, that we're reading about here are the same Canaanites who would be the greatest opponents of Israel when they enter Canaan. Now don't make any mistakes. The Canaanites were a wicked people. And as we read about in a couple of verses here, they would be destroyed because of these abominations that they committed. Let's take a look at them. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. 
16. Verse 16. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Then Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verses 1 to 5. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whether thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, and the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughters shall not give unto his sons, nor his daughters shall thou take unto thy sons. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. So this shows us that right here, during God's call for Abraham, these wicked sinners were already there. It shows you that it was not easy for Abram to live his pure life for God. Any person who has suffered addiction can tell you it is hard to be around people that you were close to before you got clean because those people are still doing the things that they did before so if you're a drug addict you should not go be around those same friends that you were with when you were a drug addict if you're an alcoholic you shouldn't go around those same friends who were drinking when you were drinking once you're clean stay away from them because it, it makes it so much easier for you to fall into that. Anyway, this place here, this Shechem, was also called Shechem in other Bible verses. But you see, this is just another spelling. It's not a different word. In, in fact, the city is mentioned during Jesus' time. When Jesus fled from the Jews who wanted, wanted him out, the city was located on some mountain. It has to be. That is what the word means. Other names for the city are Sikar and Sikkim. Anyway, the city was located somewhere in Palestine. The Canaanites were worshippers of false gods, and God would overthrow them and give the land to the descendants of Abram. Remember, as we see in the Bible many, 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 many times, the promises of God are not always immediately fulfilled. Sometimes it's in the future. They're still fulfilled, though. God is truth. He always keeps his promises. Verse 7. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, And to thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Look at that. 
those same words are seen over and over and over again. Those words, I will give this land. Let me show you some other times that it's said. Not all of them, but just some of them. Genesis chapter 13, verse 15. For all the land which thou seest to thee, I w will I give it, and to thy seed forever. 15, 18. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land from the river of Egypt into the great river, the great river Euphrates. Chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Galatians chapter 3 verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not and to seeds as of many but as of one. And to thy seed which is Christ. But you see... God is dealing with Abram, not in a private promise, but with a view towards higher and more sacred interests, ones that will take place way in the future. The land where his descendants were is what they will inhabit. Right here we see the seeds, the seeds of divine truth. They are sown for the benefit of all mankind. This land right here, it was chosen as the most appropriate land for the coming of a divine revelation and as well as the salvation of the entire world. The verse makes sure that we understand something. Abram built an ark, altar, an altar unto the Lord. Do you see this act right here? This is Abram making an open confession to his religion. By doing this, doing this, he is establishing worship of the one true God. He's declaring his faith in the promises of God. Did you know what we're seeing here is the first true place of worship being erected in the promised land? Did you know that? Isaac would, of course, build, he, he builds an altar later to the Lord. In Genesis chapter 26, verses 24 and 25. <clears throat> and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee. And multiply thy seed for my servant Abram's sake. And he builded an altar there, and called unto the name of called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. And then of course Jacob he builds one in Shechem. In Genesis chapter thirty three, verses eighteen to twenty. And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, 
which is in the land of Canaan, where he came from Padan Aram, and pitched his tent before the city, and he bought a parcel of a field, where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar, and called it El, El Elohi Israel. As we read in the Bible, there was there were not that many people that the Lord appears to. And, and when he does, these people always build an altar to him. One thing that is made clear is that God promised the land of Canaan to the descendants of Abram. Not, not once does Abram question that. Not how, not when. He shows his belief and his sincerity as well as his humbleness when he builds that altar right here. All right, let's go on to verse 8 now. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hal on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. It says, Bethel and Hal. Hi. I don't know if we have discussed Bethel's location yet, but it's about seven miles north of Jerusalem, and it was named it was named by Abraham um, in chapter twenty-eight, verse nineteen, and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at first. Uh, actually, I don't know why I said Abraham. I meant Jacob. <laughs> uh, then we have Hai, which is spelled H-A-I. Here it is also called I, spelled A-I. And Ut, <laughs> it, <laughs> was two miles east of Bethel. And it's where Joshua would later have his fight, you know, in Joshua chapter 7 and 8, Bethel means the house of God. High means ruins. We will, of course, be discussing all of that later. Anyway, in this verse, everywhere that Abraham goes, Abram, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep making that mistake, forgive me. Everywhere that Abram goes, he sees that we see, we see him build an altar to the Lord. No exception. We see here that he prayed to God. He knew that he was depending on God for everything. He's a very, very humble man. Now, let's look at verse 9. And Abram journeyed going on still towards the south. Now, we do not have a lot here to pick apart. We don't. It's pretty self-explanatory. But we're going to look at where it says that he journeyed towards the south. So, Abraham moved towards the Negev, a, a less desirable area if you want to raise crops. Okay? But, if you were a herdsman, it's better. Also, if you were a merchant as well. So, maybe it would be better 
for a merchant, maybe it would be better. You know, I have no idea. But he's definitely not going there to raise crops. So let's move on to verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Now, did you see that? It says, and there was a famine in the land. This sounds horrible. But I need you to realize something. In Canaan, this was not unusual. During, the, during that era, the patriarchal era, we read about two major food shortages. Let's look at them. Chapter 20, uh, Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. And there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abram. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. Also, check out chapter 41, verse 56. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians... And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. But this one here, this famine that we're reading about here, is apparently very severe. Not only was it very severe, but the, even the timing of it forces Abram to flee to Egypt. And, and, soon, and not long after he arrives there, you know, he, he, it hasn't been long since he arrived in the promised land. And he's having to flee into Egypt. Because the food was, which was usually in abundance, is not, it, it's not. Now, think about this. When you need something and you're far away from home, your first thought is to do what? To go home. But does Abram return to Ur of the Chaldees? No. Even though the things had gotten difficult, he held on to that promise of God. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 15. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. That's why he doesn't. Think about that. Not only is he facing these wicked Canaanites, now he's being tested with a famine. Let's look at let's look at some other verses. James chapter one verses two to eight. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into adverse temptations, knowing that the knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and unbraideth not. And it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea 
driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now let's also look at Genesis chapter 26 verse 1. And there was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. Also 41 verse 56. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. Now, where does Abraham or <laughs> where does Abram go? He goes to Egypt. Egypt is that great civilization that is in northeastern Africa, right? It was at, at right, and during this time it was at its greatest especially when it's united, meaning the southern and northern kingdom. In the Hebrews, you will quite often see Egypt called Mizraim. Now, I know that some of you like when I give you some time periods to help you with you know, when these things took place. Well, when Abraham arrived in Egypt, it was during a time called the First Intermediate Period. It tells us that the great pyramids of the old kingdom period, they've already, they're already there. They're already standing. They, in fact, they've been there for at least 500 years. Somewhere between 2700 and 2200 BC. This tells us that the rise of the middle kingdom period, which is 2040 to 1786 BC, took place during the arrival of Jacob and Joseph. Now, we know that there has been extensive archaeological excavations all over Egypt. And these have revealed a cultural, a culture, I should say, expressed in our architecture, architecture, <laughs> agriculture, literature, music, military prowess, and, of course, religion. In fact, the Pharaoh was considered a god incarnate, and the, the Pharaoh's word was law. And if you think about that, the, the, that main fact right there explains why there is no law codes in ancient Egypt. Which supports how unique the Mosaic Law was. Egypt, they continued to be very important for Israel throughout the Old Testament. I think it has a lot to do with how close they were, you know, in proximity to each other. Abram and all of those who, who followed him, they found refuge in Egypt constantly. Not only that, but Joseph, the master of dreams... He found refuge there. Even Jesus, when 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 um, when Herod was searching for Jesus to kill him, you know, where did Joseph and Mary go? They they fled to Egypt. Right? Famines are one thing that will drive you to 
strange places. Because if you're looking for food, you're going to go wherever you can find it. God will do whatever he has to do to get his people to go where he wants them to be. All right. Verse 11 now. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. So Sarai is, of course, Sarah. Her, her original name was Sarai. She is Abram's wife. But she's also his half-sister. She, she fled with him when he left Ur of the Chaldees. It's, of course, her inability uh, to give him an heir that's the major factor that leads to her convincing Abraham to have a child with Hagar. You know, it's not until she was 90 that she, can, she, that she uh, gave birth to Isaac. And then, of course, she insists that Abraham expel Ishmael and Hagar Notice what he calls her here in verse 11. Fair woman. This tells us that even though she was 65 years old, she was still young and attractive. She's only half the age that she is when she dies. Because she lives to be... Uh, very old. She, she dies at 127. Now remember, the patriarchs at this time were living a long life. Abram was 175 when he dies. Like I said, Sarah, she lived to be 127. She dies in Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. And she's buried in the cave of Machpelah. We read about that in um, Genesis 23. But you can go read it if you want. Genesis 23 chapters, uh, Genesis chapter 23 verses 1 to 20. It's a lot to read. Now, in the New Testament, we see that Sarai is referred to as the mother of the children of promise. That's in Romans chapter 9 verse 9. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. Right? She's also included in the list of the faithful as well. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She's cited as an example of obedience to her husband in several places. 1 Peter 3 6. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Genesis chapter 11 verse 29. 
And Abram and Naor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Ishka. Genesis chapter 17. Verses 15 to 19. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt now not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her, and give thee son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abram fell upon his face, and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, that is ninety years old, bear? And Abram said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. All right. Let's read two verses now. We're going to read verses 12 and 13. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with, thee, with me for thy sake. And my soul shall live because of thee. We see some fear in Abraham right here. He's afraid that Pharaoh is going to kill him and take Sarai into his harem. If he found out their, their true relationship. So he looked into his own intuition to take care of him in the future. Thinking that he would be assisting God in fulfilling his promise. He told Sarai, Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake. Think about what's happening here. He's lying. He's lying about her in order to save his own life. Even though he knew God had saved him and called him. But you see, even after that, God's sovereignty overcame the sin of Abraham. Now, he said for her to tell everyone that she is his sister. Now, technically, that is a half-truth because she's his half-sister. So, as, like I said earlier, Sarai must have been really, really beautiful. Abram was so afraid that someone's going to try to take her away from him that they would kill him in order to get her. Fear will make us do some dumb things, won't it? And right here, we see Abram afraid for his own life. So afraid that he's willing to tell everyone that his wife is his sister. Look at it again. He's also asking his wife to lie as well. Alright, let's look at verse 14 now. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman they, that she was very fair. 
His plan was not adequate. Sure, Sarai was admired for her beauty, like Abraham knew. But, since she claimed to be his sister, his single sister, Pharaoh wanted her to be his wife. And Abram, as her brother, he's treated generously. He's entertained. He's rewarded. Take a look. Verse 15. The princes also of Egypt saw her, or I'm sorry, the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commanded her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Did you see? It says she was taken into Pharaoh's house. Like I said, just like Abraham suspected, the Egyptians, they noticed her beauty. And they told the monarch about her. And just like Abram expected, she was taken into the harem. Let's, let's, let's keep going. Verse 16 now. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. Look at how they're treating Abram here. He became involved in all of these perplexities. He had, ne he had neither the wisdom or the power to get out of it. Imagine how hard it was for him to keep quiet. He had to have been miserable. He was receiving all of this. He didn't refuse it. All of this while his beautiful wife was taken away into the, king, into the Pharaoh's harem. His plan, yeah, it saved him. But what about Sarai? She was taken away from him. She was torn away from him. There is no state on this earth that is free from trials. None. There's no character that is free from blemish. Just look at Abraham in this story. Canaan, the glory of all the lands, was experiencing a famine. Unbelief, which is the worst of all evils. And Abraham, the father of the faithful. Look what he did here. There is only one place with perfect happiness. There's only one place with perfect purity. And that, brothers and sisters, is heaven. What we see here is that Pharaoh's eye, there was nothing too good for Abraham, the brother of Sarai. So he showers Abram with gifts and took Sarai into his home. Now, as I'm sure you already know, God was not happy with this. He wasn't happy one bit. We will see that in the next verse. Just how displeased he was. Read with me. Verse 17. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So, when it says plagued Pharaoh and his house, this shows us that Abram and Sarai the fact that they were separated was so critical that it evoked God to intervene. Remember, the ruse that Abram engineered protected him. 
He didn't even give any thoughts to what was going to happen to Sarai. But the reaction that we see on the part of God was to protect Sarai. Look what it said. Because of Sarai. We know that Pharaoh rebukes Abram, right? Like I said, Sarai was Abram's half-sister. Even though she was his half-sister, he said she was his sister. That was a lie. And his lie about how they were related was even told by his wife and companions. Because Abraham told him to, right? He concealed the truth. He denied it. He exposed his wife and the Egyptians to sin. And as we see, God did not tolerate this kind of thing. And he still does not tolerate it today. These plagues that are mentioned here, they ended when they moved on. Pharaoh, he quickly realizes the problem. So he laid that problem where it belonged, right at the foot of Abram. He realizes, of course, that Sarai is Abram's wife and that God is displeased. Now, I'll tell you one of my own beliefs. This is, this is just something that I believe. Okay? And that is that some of the plagues that our world has today are because God's displeased with our sins. These sexual sins. And I mean sexual sins of all types. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality. All of them. Pornography. All of it. Our world, the modern world, the world we live in today, they look at these things and they say, It's okay. <laughs> What's our favorite, our favorite excuse? Because I'm human. This type of stuff is rampant in the world today. And some of the stuff that we're experiencing is because God is displeased with that. He's displeased with our, our um, I'm only human. But do you remember that we're created in God's image? So we're not only human. We're humans that are created. We're, we're a being that is created in the image of God. He expects us to have communion with him. He expects us to talk with him. Anyway, let's look at two verses here. Verses 18 and 19. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife. Take her and go thy way. <laughs> the, the reproof that he faces here from Pharaoh is just one. He asks him, what have you done? How very unbecoming of a wise man. Think about it. If someone claims to be a religious person and they profess a lie, that person has to expect to have it brought back up. 
And if it is brought back up, think that person who does it. What we see here, when Pharaoh sends him away, was Pharaoh being kind. The Bible never explains how. But somehow, these plagues that God sent to Egypt uncovered the deceit of Abraham. Pharaoh must have humiliated him with that question. It showed a great character. A greater character than Abram believed Pharaoh to be. And then, what does he do? He sends Abraham out. Pharaoh is asking Abraham, Why did you lie to me? You got me in trouble. Hurry up. Get out of here so that God will remove these plagues. Alright. So here we are. We're at the last verse in the chapter. Verse 20. Let's read. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. It says that Pharaoh sent him away. So this lie that Abraham told, it caused him and his family, his extended family, because remember he's got his slaves and all of them with him, they're forced to leave Egypt. My only thought is that maybe one of his servants talked. Now, this of course could have caused Abram to lose some integrity, some reputation in the, in the eyes of that, of that servant. You know, Pharaoh never talked about killing Abram, not once. And that's what Abram feared would happen. How many times have you had a fear that was unfounded? We all have times when we're afraid without any reason to be. If anything, it seems that Pharaoh told his men not to hurt him. You see, when you are in a position of authority... It's not enough that you don't hurt someone. You, you also have to keep those who are uh, under your command from hurting people. Pharaoh, he realized that Abram was protected by God, so he didn't punish him. Pharaoh was in such a hurry for Abram to leave that he told his men, make sure he leaves. Notice we do not hear of Pharaoh taking back any of those gifts either. So he must have allowed Abram to take them with him. So what lesson can we all learn from this? In my opinion, there are two. First one, we should not lie to protect ourselves, right? Secondly, if we belong to God, then God will be the one to help us out of any mess that we get ourselves into. Right? Alright, so this one went a little bit longer than I thought it would. Um, I was looking at how many verses and I said, this isn't going to take that long. It did, didn't it? It went a little bit longer. Um, so, thank you all for joining me here. I pray the Lord continues to bless you and keep you. Now, as, again, as I said, we have BitChute, we have Rumble, um... And then, of course, the podcast is everywhere now. If there's, um, if you haven't already, please go check out the podcast. 
Um, if you if you're listening on the podcast and you haven't already, please go check out YouTube. Go check out BitChute. Go check out Rumble. If you're watching on YouTube, go check out the BitChute and the Rumble. It's exactly the same. You're not going to see any differences um, between YouTube, BitChute, and Rumble because um, besides the fact that you'd, you'd have to create an account and follow it there yourself, um, it's exactly the same as YouTube. I'm, I'm not making any of the changes to like the videos or uh, things like that. It's the same videos, same image for it um but all right so thank you for for listening today i pray the lord continues to bless you and keep you and i hope to see you all here next week for an all new sermons in the park thank you and god bless you